WWE podcast on this Friday, December 3rd, as we enter a rare event in WWE, a rare month, I may add, as a pay per viewless month for WWE, which just seems like a completely foreign concept nowadays. And maybe we get that in March, if I'm not sure, but typically we even have Fastlane in March. But I gotta say, kind of gotta echo Matt's sentiments as well on this. I am very content that we are not getting the the typical TLC pay-per-view that we have been accustomed to for what the last 10 years or so which has become the the uh, December pay-per-view kind of taking the reins from I believe it was Armageddon I think Armageddon before TLC was had become the uh, T, the um, December pay-per-view and TLC really just became a joke of itself it was a complete gimmick pay-per-view and especially after last year's TLC when the fiend got lit on fire which seemed to be the unofficial downward beginning of the downward trend for the fiend it was uh, just not a great look for the pay-per-view as a whole and needless to say i am happy that we are moving on but we're not here to talk about tlc we are here to talk about a rivalry that transpired just about six or seven years ago as we are going back to the end of 2014 beginning of 2015 for triple h versus sting that culminated at WrestleMania 21. And I got to tell you that thinking back on this rivalry and reviewing it in my head, preparing for this show, I don't want to say it was one of the most underwhelming rivalries because I do think that you got a lot out of it that you wanted to. But on one hand, or the first thing I would say about it is that it happened probably five years too late, just because all the moving parts, especially Sting, that were involved in it, he was well past his prime, and that's saying something considering the fact that he is still involved in the wrestling industry over on AEW, but at this point, you could already see that in the ring, he wasn't what he had been WCW or more recently in TNA. And secondly, by the time you got to WrestleMania and you brought back Degeneration X and the NWO, those guys as well were already kind of approaching the back nine of their careers. And the everlasting question as to why they decided to use Triple H as the opponent to Sting in his first ever match in WWE and something that would ultimately become only one of two matches in WWE so how this came about was back in 2014, the landscape of the WWE was dominated by the Authority storyline, an angle that had been running roughshod on the product 
probably for just about 12 months at this point. It had started at the end of the summer of 2013 where Triple H pedigree Daniel Bryan allowed Randy Orton for the cash-in and then something that ultimately built to Daniel Bryan winning the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 30, one of the most historic championship victories in the history of that pay-per-view and probably in the company as a whole. And even though the Daniel Bryan storyline kind of culminated the authority angle in a way, it kept progressing throughout 2014 because you had Evolution come back, feud with the Shield that led to the Seth Rollins heel turn, and then he became the architect version of himself. And for all intents and purposes, the quote-unquote future of the company backed by the authority. And this dragged all the way into the fall of 2014. And I know that looking back on this, a lot of people were getting sick of the storyline. And, you know, every Monday Night Raw, it seemed like for just about 13 months, would start with the authority. I remember they were using the King of Kings theme song. And it was quite tired, and they beat that horse absolutely to death. But I have to say, whenever you would open... Uh, Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown with Triple H or Stephanie McMahon, a combination of both, throwing a Vince McMahon in there from time to time, it did really give the product some legitimacy. And in particular, having Triple H on the on the product each and every week, sometimes multiple times a week, if he made his way over to SmackDown was something that, in my mind, I think we kind of took for granted. Because like it or not, Triple H is one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the company. And probably of one of, if not the greatest performer of the, uh, the Ruthless Aggression era. And I would say that in my lifetime, hands down, the best heel that we have seen. Although Roman Reigns has really given him a run for his money right now. So maybe it's something kind of like a sentimental attachment for me, but having Triple H on the product each and every week was something that I kind of enjoyed. And it, obviously it's a subjective opinion because I grew up in the Ruthless Aggression era and I loved Evolution, the DX and all that. But if I had to venture a guess, I think that a lot of people would take that version of Triple H on the product right now as opposed to what we get right now with the, uh, I forget what his name is, Adam. I forget the the current bald guy, the, uh, the authority figure they have in place right now. But it will come to me throughout the show, but I'm sure you guys know who I'm talking about. But by the time we reach the fall of 2014, you were kind of getting the feeling that it was coming to a head in f some form or fashion, and that was the authority angle. And they built towards Team Cena versus Team Authority at Survivor Series, back when Survivor Series was its actual own pay-per-view and not a glorified version of bragging rights. And I got to tell you, this was one of the better five-on-five -five Survivor Series matches I've seen in the last decade or so. So on Team Cena, you had obviously John Cena, The Big Show, Dolph Ziggler, Eric Rowan, and Ryback going up against Team Authority, captained by Seth Rollins with Corporate Kane, Mark Henry, Luke Harper, and Rusev. And it ultimately comes down to Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins, which is crazy to say based on where they've positioned Dolph Ziggler on the card for the better part of three years now or so. 
And they just put on a hell of a match. And this was just a great, great booking, great performances by the in-ring guys. It was just a fantastic contest top to bottom. But eventually, when it comes down to Rollins versus Ziggler, Triple H gets involved to try and sway the tide in his favor. Because you got to remember, if Team Cena won, it would be the end of the authority's power on Monday Night Raw. But just as Triple H was trying to get the one up, he got an unexpected interruption. Just bring out another official and end this thing. Be done with it. I'm sure that's what he's going to do, Michael. Oh, you know what? Just count the one, two, three yourself. Go ahead and do that. So Sting debuts and hits Triple H with, I guess it's like a reverse DDT kind of. I don't remember exactly what Sting called it, but and eventually gives the victory to Team Cena and pulls Dolph Ziggler over Seth Rollins. And one of the funny things I always felt about that segment is like you have these two guys of yesteryear with Triple H and Sting and the entire time like Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler just on the, the floor of the ring, just out of commission. But this really started a fast track and long-term booking, a foreign concept in WWE, uh, most of the time at least, 
to having Triple H meet Sting at WrestleMania 31. And over the course of the next few months, there were a lot of moving parts, of course, and you had the return of Randy Orton, who kind of pretended like he was coming back to the authority and ultimately defected and went against Team Authority. And this was kind of like a sub-storyline going on right under the nose of the Triple H versus Sting kind of angle because Triple H was, went away for just about a month and then was brought back by John Cena with the whole Edge and Seth Rollins type of angle. And when he finally did return, it took a while for you to see the one-on-one -on -one encounter between Triple H and Sting. And eventually what it built to was Randy Orton versus Seth Rollins as well at WrestleMania 31. And during all this, you had Randy Orton kind of having altercations with Triple H as well because the Authority were one big faction. And it all came to a head on a Monday Night Raw not long before WrestleMania when the Authority thought they had Randy Orton cornered all on his own, or at least so they thought. Just get his hands on that one man, Seth Rollins. Orton made Seth suffer last week. Get ready for a little turnabout fair play, Randy. Standing his ground, equalizer in hand. Here comes the authority. Get up what on earth? So th this was a really cool moment because you had kind of had Randy Orton who not was lost in no man's land at this time. He had just returned, turned babyface on the authority, but he was a guy that even though he had just come off of being world champion, that he had dropped the belt just a year ago at this time. It was a few years where Randy Orton kind of seemed to be playing second fiddle. Like, even when he was the WWE World Champion, it was kind of like he was just the pawn for Triple H, kind of like The Rock was to Vince in the corporate champion angle in 1998-99. So, Randy Orton kind of being front and center here, and then aligning himself with Sting, 
you see it in this clip and you hear it like it was like randy orton got a jolt of energy and it made his match with seth rollins at that wrestlemania feel all that important and then focusing in on triple h versus sting it was just such a cool visual to see sting on monday night raw get the one up on triple h against the authority and it really made you feel excited for this match because i'm not gonna lie i had a bit of trouble getting amped for this because as much as you know sting was such a historic character such a historic figure in pro wrestling you had never seen him in a wwe environment and again you had to know that he was well past his prime and whenever guys are well past your prime you know you wonder like is it gonna feel the same is it gonna feel cool and another thing is is that i always thought like the most of you i'm sure that if he would ever show up at uh, in wwe on monday night raw or show up at a wrestlemania that it would a hundred and a hundred percent be at uh, against the undertaker and then for him to go against Triple H, one of the last guys you would have expected him to compete against in his first ever match at his first ever WrestleMania, I was thinking to myself, like, but why? But I guess when you really break it down, Sting was the vigilante, the anti-hero, a guy to stand up to the NWO back in WCW in the Nitro days, and now he was going against the system in the authority. And Triple H, for all intents and purposes at this time, was the biggest heel managerial role, kind of taking the reins from Vince McMahon, like he was in the Attitude and Ruthless Aggression era. So by the time we got to WrestleMania, it felt like it was a big time moment. It felt like it was going to be a big time match. And WrestleMania 31, on a side note, was one of, in my mind, the best WrestleManias of all time. And that's saying something. But WrestleMania 31 was a card that they absolutely knocked out of the park. And in the last 15 years, I would say it's easily the best WrestleMania. Like, for me, you have WrestleMania 17, undisputed, best show of all time WWE has ever put on. WrestleMania 20 as a close second, and then WrestleMania 31. And that's saying something as a guy who grew up in the tail end of the Attitude era and grew up fully through the Ruthless Aggression era. So for me to cite a pay-per-view that took place in 2015 as one of the best manias and pay-per-views of all time, that's really saying something about what I thought of that card. And the other part of this is, is that they built to this match almost with never crossing pass on the way to getting there. And I know I just played the the clip of Sting uh, saving Randy Orton from the authority. But before that, when they actually agreed to the match, it wasn't even in a face-to-face capacity. It came in the way of Triple H cutting his own promo in the ring and then getting an answer from Sting, but not in the way of face-to-face. Sleep and breathe, WWE. While others have come and gone, I have stayed here. My blood, sweat, tears, passion, all to make this a better place. And all of that, all of it, life's work, almost all taken away because of one man. Sting. Sting, the face of WCW. WCW, the company I helped destroy. 
And now, 14 years later, Sting finally gathers up the guts to do something about it. Because for 14 years, he stayed away. Because for 14 years, he knew that if he came here, I would personally expose him. And now, for whatever reason, at Survivor Series 14 years later, Sting finally decides to take his shot. And when he takes his shot, does he do it like a man? No. He attacks like a coward. Well, Sting, I am a man. And I am calling you out at Fastlane to stand in this ring face to face with me. And I will look you dead in your eye and I will explain to you why you were right to stay away for 14 years. And if you agree, if you agree to never show your face here again, then I will let you leave Fastlane with your dignity intact. I'm a patient man. I am a patient man, but I have called Sting out like a man for two straight weeks with no answer. I'm just going to stop it right there quickly, but Triple H is such a damn good promo, isn't he? And there's a lot of good little easter eggs that he was dropping before wrestlemania and one of the reasons why i played this you know in non-chronological order in reference to sting showing up and saving randy orton because a lot of what triple h said there is kind of like what transpired in the ring right you know he's saying that he helped destroy wcw and sting wouldn't show his face in wwe after that because he knew that triple h would destroy him uh single-handedly you know that is kind of the storytelling that translated into the ring and you know it became much more about wwf versus wcw than it did again about triple h versus sting and that's, I guess, maybe one of the bigger criticisms I have about this storyline because Sting is such an iconic character and one of the most mythical, um, I guess, figures in professional wrestling because he was the only guy that didn't defect to WWF even after the wars were over that when he finally did show up, you were expecting this great big storyline surround that was centered around the mystique of Sting. And what it ultimately became was he was the face of WCW and Trip was the face of WWE. And while that was cool, and I do think that there were some positives that came out of going down that angle, which we'll get to in just a moment, I do think that they could have done more in the way of focusing on the character of Sting. Case in point, had they done Sting versus The Undertaker. That wouldn't have been WWF versus, or WWE versus WCW. That would have been the two, arguably the two most mythical creatures, or creatures, <laughs> characters in the history of professional wrestling. 
But Triple H, arguably the most pure-blooded WWE guy against Sting, the most pure-blooded WCW guy, it kind of became much more than just those individual characters. It became like the Monday Night Wars coming back to life. Something, again, would play a big factor in the match itself. So Sting ultimately accepts and sends a message on the Titantron that he accepts the mess, uh, the the match against Triple H. And then when we finally do get to the match against uh, Sting and Triple H and the match is playing out, we quickly realize that it was going to be much more than WCW versus WWF and much more than Sting versus uh, Triple H. It was going to be about two iconic factions that helped their respective uh, companies go to war with each other in the late 1990s. So you get Triple H have DX run to the ring and no Shawn Michaels at this point, just the outlaws and Xbox to try and, you know, sway the odds in favor of Triple H. And right off the bat, you start thinking, okay, something's coming here, but, you know, how long are we going to take to get there? So you have D-Generation X in the ring, you know, one of the driving forces and key elements that helped the WWF defeat WCW in the later years of the um, of the 1990s and early on in 2000. But at that point, you know, WWF was kind of running away with the um, in that battle between the two companies. So you have DX at ringside, and then after not too long, we get another group come out to even the odds on the side of WCW and Sting.
Uh, I always felt that JBL ruined that little part of the match when when the NWO was coming to the ring when him saying like but who is the NWO coming for like because you know playing on the fact that Sting was against the NWO for years in WCW but come on we all know that he was they were coming out to side with Sting and I I understand what he was trying to do but I just found that such a dumb comment like what they're gonna come out and gang up on Sting like just a stupid stupid call by JBL but you know, it was a cool moment, even though, like, you know, you had the Silver Fox at this point, uh, Kevin Nash, who was arguably in the best shape of all the guys involved, maybe not more so than Billy Gunn, and Scott Hall, who had just gotten himself back on the right road, he was sober now, so it was cool to see, uh, oh yeah, and Scott Hall even took a bump in this, uh, on in the brawl on the outside, but uh, it was really cool to see the NWO square off against D-Generation X, even though it was, what, 15 years too late, if not longer. But nevertheless, it was a cool visual to see all these guys square off. And it was kind of WCW versus WWF. That's what this match kind of became in a lot of ways. It wasn't Sting versus Triple H. It wasn't even really DX versus uh, NWO. It really became about WWF versus WCW. And if you guys remember, in early 2015, this was right around the time where WWE was releasing all of the Monday Night War series. A brilliant series, and up until the release of the Ruthless Aggression series, it was probably my favorite uh, original uh, documentary that WWE had produced on its network. So, I mean they were really almost kind of advertising the network in a lot of ways because that was arguably the biggest show that they had produced to that point. And the network was, what, only a year old at this point, I want to say, in early 2015. So it was a way that on the grandest stage of them all in a big marquee match of Sting versus Triple H for WWE to kind of indirectly advertise one of their biggest uh, documentaries that they were producing at that point. And obviously, later on in the match, we get Shawn Michaels show up, Sweet Chin Music, uh, Sting, while he has the sharpshooter locked in on Triple H. And then ultimately, to the surprise of many, in a very, very underwhelming finish, you get Triple H hit Sting with the head of the, uh, the sledgehammer and get the one, two, three. And one of the most questionable booking decisions I think we could all agree on in the history of the company and Sting goes down as never winning a singles match in WWE because he lost this match and then he would go on to lose against Seth Rollins just about six months later at the Night of Champions pay-per-view, a match that he got really severely injured in off of a botch of buckle bomb by Rollins. And, I mean, I understand that on one hand, it was Vince's last way of getting, you know, kind of a middle finger and an FU to WCW. And also that Triple H had a lot more runway left than Sting in terms of his in-ring career. Like, hell, not even one year later, Triple H was the WWE champion again and watched, walked into the very next year's WrestleMania as the world champion. And then even beyond that, he had, you know, several big-time in-ring matches left. You know, his match against Rollins at WrestleMania, the mixed tag team match with Angle, Stephanie, and Rousey. He had another match with Randy Orton at, at Super Showdown. Like, Triple H had a lot more runway left in the way of his in-ring career, so having him defeat Sting made sense on that angle. 
But at the end of the day, could you not just have Sting win? <laughs> you know, for the love of God, everyone wanted to see it. The guy deserved it. He's one of, if not the biggest star to ever come out of WCW. But, I mean, I guess, like I said to the, in the beginning, it was kind of Vince's last way to give a middle finger to WCW. But uh, that doesn't change the fact that it is one of the most questionable booking decisions in the history of WrestleMania. But anyway, guys, that's all I got for you tonight. I hope you enjoyed Triple H versus Sting or WWF versus uh, WCW if you want to take that road. I guess both are eligible for this particular um, uh, rivalries episode. But as always, you can get me on Twitter at adamarco25. You can get Matt on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. Or you can email him at podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, guys, stay safe out there. And as always, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.